My name is John Mark Redwine, and I'm the lead pastor, and it's a gift to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are in Summer at the Gathering right now, and uh, man, we love Summer at the Gathering. We have so much fun in Summer at the Gathering, and last Sunday for Father's Day, did everybody have a good time? Did you guys get a, a cool bottle opener, some root beer? Maybe a Topo Chico if you're watching your sugar intake, trying to control that dad bod. I see you out there. You're working hard, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> Next Sunday is going to be so much fun, you guys. Listen, I, I just was in the office this morning, and I saw this prize bundle that we put together. We're doing a raffle at Summer at the Gathering, okay? And it is going to be an Arctic cooler, which is almost a Yeti, all right? We're a church plant, all right? <laughs> and it, but it's a super nice cooler, big Arctic cooler, red, white, and blue, because it's 4th of July weekend, and inside of it is all kinds of cool stuff, candy. I almost took one of the bags of candy this morning, but I know Pastor Mikey is watching how many bags are in there, and, uh, and anyways, you're going to make sure you want to come and get, a, get in on that raffle. It's going to be awesome. We have so many. We got like five inflatables. We got how many food trucks, Mikey? Three, four, four food trucks coming, all happening at Fletcher Park next Sunday. It's just going to be huge. It's going to be a blast. And that following Wednesday, right after that, is First Wednesday at Blue Ghost Brewery. And so if you don't know about First Wednesday, First Wednesday is one of my favorite things that we do. We just go to the brewery and hang out together. Who doesn't like to hang out? This is Asheville. Who doesn't like to hang out at a brewery? Nobody's going to ask anything from you. Nobody's going to expect anything from you. You just come and make some friends. Get to know your staff a little bit. Get to know some people here at the church. That's coming up right after, right after uh, our summer party next weekend. So this is, it's just summer at the gathering is a great time. All right. Well, I want to catch you up. We've been talking through this story of Joseph for the last uh, few weeks and have been talking about beer, too. I'm talking about the beer making process. We live in Asheville, okay? I'm trying my best to learn from the main industry here in our city, which is making beer. And I'm watching how the brewers find the potential in these four basic ingredients, water, barley, hops, and yeast, and pull out so many different things, so many different kinds of beer, so many different flavors, so many different potentials that can be developed from this one thing. And as we talk about that, we're studying the story of Joseph, which appears in Genesis. And it's this unbelievable story of potential. We first meet Joseph. He's 17 years old. And he is just full of himself. He is, I mean, he's got some natural leadership tendencies, but he's his daddy's favorite kid. I mean, every parent in here, you got a favorite kid. We know you do, all right? Your kids know you do. And listen, we all, everybody knows who the favorite is, right? Well, Joseph was bragging about it. And let me tell you something. Don't let your kids go bragging about it. If you buy your one kid the best jacket, you the other two, they got Target, but you get North Face for one of your kids, don't let them go parading it around in front of their brothers and sisters. That's what Joseph did. He gets this beautiful coat that's handmade for him, and he's just parading it around. He has a dream that he's going to lead one day, and all of his siblings are going to bow down before him. What's the first thing that he does when he wakes up? 
Hey guys, guess what? Good news. One day you are all going to bow down before me and I can't wait to see it happen. Joseph has a lot of potential, but he's got some issues he needs to work through in his character. It needs to be developed. He's got to grow. He's got to grow into it. And so we meet him at 17 and his brothers are jealous and envious and they're tired of his mouth. And so they sell him into slavery. They beat him up, they throw him in a well, and then they sell him into slavery. It's an extreme reaction, but y'all, this is almost 4,000 years ago. Let's, let's understand the context is different. That was just how you handled a difficult sibling back then. Some of y'all are like, do we do that now? And so Joseph gets sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar is an important official in the Egyptian government. Where these guys are living, they're bordering Egypt, they're near it. And so the Ishmaelites, the, the slave traders that take Joseph, they walk him through some desert and into Egypt. And that's where the slave trade is booming. And so they sell him, but they sell him uh, into the home of an Egyptian official called Potiphar, he was the captain of the guard. He had an audience with Pharaoh. He was an important guy. And Joseph did really well serving Potiphar. He made a name for Potiphar, in fact. He, he managed all of Potiphar's affairs. Genesis tells us that all Potiphar had to do was worry about the food he was going to eat because Joseph took care of everything else. And Joseph had so much success. But because he was in this development stage of his process and because he was a slave, every ounce of success that he had, the credit went to Potiphar, and sometimes when we're in a development stage, when God is growing us and teaching us and shaping us and training us, what happens to us? Our credit for the things that we do, it goes to somebody else. And God has things that he wants to teach us in that season about humility and about working because it's the right thing to do, not because of the credit that we would gain. And Joseph's learning all of those things. And so Joseph is at the end of an 11-year tenure in the house of Potiphar when we pick up our story today. But today, as we talk through it, I want to talk about what is the most important ingredient necessary for us reaching our potential. The most important ingredient, we'll talk about the most important ingredient in the beer making process and the most important ingredient in the future making process. That just came to me. It was as bad as I thought it might be. (laughs) Uh, And so let's talk about the beer making process for a second and I want to take you where we're going. See, we believe that the process determines the outcome. And that's really the idea behind this series. It's that the process determines the outcome. We talked about the milling of the grain, the mashing and laudering of the sweet wort. And this week, we're talking about fermentation. Fermentation is where the magic happens, okay? Fermentation. By the time you get to fermentation, the brewer's really been through it with his beer. He's crushed it, he's shaped it, he's boiled it, all with the end in mind the entire time. Every step that he takes, he's thinking about where he wants that beer to end up. And now that he's done all those things... All he's got to do is wait. The work is done. Once the wort's been cooled, they move it into a fermenter, which is just like a big stainless steel vat, and then yeast is added, and the fun begins. From the moment the yeast is added, it gets to work eating the sugars that were created during the last part of the process. As, they, as the yeast eats the sugar, the ye- or something eats the sugar, and the yeast expels carbon dioxide, I'm not a scientist, dioxide and alcohol, Here's the point. Magical stuff happens in that (laughs) silver tank. Nobody knows what. 
and fermentation time uh, and the temperature that you use and the parts of the process that you focus on during that moment all has incredible impacts on the kind of beer, the flavor of the beer, the type of beer that you produce. Fermentation time can also vary greatly from a few days for a simple ale to over a month for Miller Lite. (laughs) Here's something about this process that I found really interesting. Louis Pasteur discovered the enzyme yeast and its properties in 1841. 1841. They've been making beer for a long time before 1841. And for the hundreds of years before 1841, whenever people would brew beer, they had no idea what was making the fermentation take place. They only knew that it was taking place. Even back in ancient Mesopotamia, they were making beer, and they referred to this mysterious part of the process, the fermentation part, and the thing that happens in the vat during fermentation as uh, their word for God is good. God is good. They treated it with reverence. This part of the process was holy because they believed from the bottom of their hearts that if they put all these ingredients together and let them sit for a bit, God would turn it into beer. Interesting, right? I know. I know. Thank you, Mary Kay. (laughs) We do all this development, but ultimately the finished product's out of our hands. The brewer does everything that he can in the process to get the outcome he desires, but it's the yeast that changes it from wort to beer. And so maybe you've been through the milling and the crushing. Maybe you've experienced a lot of pain and difficulty and hard seasons in your life that have shaped you, stripped away parts of you that didn't belong there anymore. Maybe you've been in development for a long time, serving underneath somebody else, getting somebody else all the credit. Maybe you've been working on an education or an apprenticeship, or maybe you've been sharpening your skills and chasing opportunities, and all the while you've still felt unsatisfied. Maybe you felt like you were meant for something bigger in this life, made for something more, but no matter what success you find, you're still missing something. I believe there's one more step left in the process for you. One more thing that's important for you to develop. One more important piece to reaching the potential you were made with, designed with, created with. Maybe you find yourself at one of two places right now. One, maybe you should be happy, but you're not. You look around at what you have, where you are, You know that other people have it far worse. You know that you've got a better life than many. You should be happy by by the measuring stick that the world uses. You should be happy, but you're not. Maybe you had a goal for a long time and you got there, but you still feel like you're missing something. Maybe it's in the context of the church. Maybe you joined the dream team hoping to make a difference in your purpose, but it's not connecting you're not feeling like it's bringing significance to you yet. Maybe on the outside and to everyone else, it looks like you should be as happy as a clam. You've got the American dream, house, wife, two and a half kids, two new cars, but something still feels missing. Maybe you've been developing yourself for a long time school, mentorships, apprenticeship, learning from hard seasons, going to counseling, doing the work, but you can't help but feel still 
like something is still missing. Maybe you can relate to the words of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, when he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That's in the Bible, you guys. Because it's full of people like me and you that have felt the same thing. So maybe you should be happy, but you're not. Or maybe you're living your dream You're there, but you can't help but feel like there's still something else. Maybe you're at a stage in life where you set out to do something and you did it. And for years and years, that was the main thing on the horizon and you got there. But now you can't help to think, now what? Because living the dream is starting to feel more and more just like being awake. It's your normal life. So where's the significance? What's ahead of you now? What's the goal? What are you moving towards, pushing after? Let's look back at this story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar. Potiphar's the chief security officer of Pharaoh. Now, Joseph knew that he was designed and destined to be someone great. He'd been given these prophecies, these dreams when he was a kid that said, one day you'll be a leader and He knew that that was his destiny, but right now he's still a slave. It's 11 years in. He's 11 years into working for Potiphar and making Potiphar's house good. Joseph learned a lot from that period of his life. He was developed into the man that God needed him to be. He learned about leadership. He learned about management, how to manage people. He learned about humility. He learned how to have grace for others. He learned a lot during this season. And the Bible says the Lord was with him and it prospered and he prospered everything that Joseph did. And so Joseph is doing well. He's he's doing as well as he can be considering the circumstances. But I'm certain that it didn't feel like it was enough because everything that he was doing well in was all for somebody else. Often when we're destined to do great things, we spend a significant period of our lives doing great things that benefit somebody else. After 11 years, Joseph's almost ready. He's got what he needs. Much of what he didn't need was stripped away. But after 11 years of faithfully working and serving and being developed and growing, everything goes a little bit sideways. After 11 years of hard, thankless work, Joseph was wrongfully accused of trying to sleep with Potiphar's wife, and he was thrown in prison. But again, even in jail, Just as when he was a slave, the Lord was with Joseph. Let's learn a couple things from Joseph as we continue his story today. Number one, a waiting season isn't a wasted season. A waiting season isn't a wasted season. Don't give up. Lean into every single season that you're in. If you feel like you're in a holding pattern and you've got nowhere to go, there's no way forward, you can't see the path, you're asking God what's next. God, show me my next step. I'm not asking for the whole path, Lord. I just want the next step, Lord. Would you shine a light on the next stone? Show me, and you're just waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and nothing's happening. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Every single season that you find yourself in has opportunities for you to learn, has opportunities for you to grow, has opportunities for you to continue to become the person you were meant to be. Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 20. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into prison. 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Look at the words that it keeps saying over and over again here. Twice it talks about the Lord being with Joseph. Joseph is not going through this alone. Sometimes when everything goes sideways and our dream just takes a hard right turn and does not go where we imagined it would, we find ourselves in a space we don't want to be, we, we never imagined we'd be, we hope that we can get immediately out of, and sometimes we think this couldn't be good, surely God is gone, surely I have been abandoned, maybe I was believing in all the wrong stuff to begin with, but the Lord was with Joseph. Even in this hard time, the Lord was with Joseph. Over and over and over again, we're being told the same thing. Even in prison, God gave Joseph success. He spent all this time managing the affairs and uh, business of the official, Potiphar, an official in the government. He learned management. He learned leadership skills. He learns how to deal with people, how to motivate and lead people. He learned all these things working for Potiphar. And now he's in jail. But what happens to him in prison? He gets even more leadership responsibilities. It's a smaller scale than before. I imagine running Potiphar's household was a bit more uh, work than just managing the prisoners in the prison. But nevertheless, he's still given those leadership opportunities. God told Joseph at 17 years old that he was going to be a leader, that people would follow him. And God has delivered on that promise in every season of Joseph's life. Oftentimes, if God doesn't deliver on the promise the way that we picture it, we don't think he's delivered on the promise. Isn't that right? Oftentimes, if the way that God answers our prayers isn't the way that we imagine it, we just start to picture God's not there. He doesn't care about us. But when I see the story of Joseph, What I learn is that God delivers on the promise he makes to Joseph at 17 years old. He delivers on it in every single part of the story. None of it was how Joseph imagined it would be. All of it was a part of the design and the plan and the promise that God had given to him. He's leading every person in this Prison. Now, I don't think that when he was 17 years old and he was given these visions about his future that he imagined that he would act that out as a slave or as a prisoner. But that's just how it goes. God is looking at the whole story, the whole story all at once. All we see is this tiny little part. Joseph's in jail, but the Lord is with him, and the Spirit of the Lord is growing inside of Joseph. I imagine that during this season in that prison, it's the special prison that was just for the king's prisoners. And in England, in old England, they had the the white tower where they would throw the king's prisoners. The man in the iron mask with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe that was France. I can't remember. It's a great movie. Anyways. uh, This was a special prison for the king's prisoners. I imagine it was a worse prison. 
It was uh, somewhere where everyone there had done something to offend the king or one of his people, the pharaoh or one of his people. And I imagine that Joseph's in there. He's praying some new kind of prayers. Some prayers maybe he hadn't prayed in a decade, not since he was sold into slavery and was marching through the desert, bound behind the Ishmaelites. Some deep, honest prayers. The kind of prayers you pray from a jail cell. The kind of prayers that you pray when your hope has gotten very small. The kind of prayers that really draw you closer to God. In our darkest seasons, we have a tendency to either push God away or get closer to him than ever. And if it is the latter, the prayers that we pray in those seasons are deep and desperate. They're more honest than the prayers we pray when times are good. When times are good, oftentimes our prayers are smaller. God, thanks, everything's great. Please bless this food. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I, I'm praying for my friend who got hurt. They, they asked me to pray for him. Pray for them. Amen. Quick, not as deep, not as sincere. But when things are difficult, we lean into it. When we feel like life takes a hard left turn, we beg God to deliver us. We cry out from the bottom of our hearts. When we feel hopeless, sometimes we lean in and ask God to do a miracle. We don't usually ask for miracles when everything is good. When we feel lost, we ask God for the promise of purpose. But God exists outside of space and time. He's not inside the confines that we are. We're moving along this single line called time. But God is back here looking at the entire thing. And I think sometimes when we pray, uh, God deliver me. God give me the promises you gave me. God help me to see my future, Lord. God give me influence and impact. I, I want to I make a difference in this world, God. God get me out of this jail cell and into a place where I can really make a difference in this world. And sometimes we pray these prayers and we just see time like this, but God's looking at the whole thing. Maybe he drops that promise just somewhere on the timeline. He always hears us. He just doesn't always answer when and how we want him to. Psalm 18 says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried out for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. He hears you. He hears the cries that you make from the most desperate parts of your heart. The way that he responds to you is just not always the way you want him to. It's not always the timing that you want him to. It's not always the answer you want him to give. When God gives a promise, it's good. He always delivers on it. But he may not deliver on it at the exact moment you ask for it. He just drops it somewhere on the timeline. It's right there. We just got to keep moving forward, pressing on in the same direction to get to the promise. I think a lot of times we go through all this development and then it feels like nothing's going on, nothing's happening, God's not in it. We ask God for help. We ask him for the promise. We ask him for purpose. We ask him for meaning. We ask him for more. But when we don't get the answer, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it, we just stop asking. But the answer was right there. We were here. We just had to keep moving forward. If you're in a season like the one Joseph found him in, keep moving forward. 
And here's what I want you to see. While Joseph was in jail, he wasn't just waiting. He was growing. He was serving. He was living in the purpose he was giving. He was leading the way God created him to lead. He kept on leading. He kept on praying. He let the Spirit of the Lord fill him and be with him. When you find yourself in a waiting season, decide what God can teach you in it and commit to grow closer to him through it and keep moving forward, believing that something good is on the other side. The waiting season is not a wasted season. The whole time Joseph was waiting, the Holy Spirit was transforming and changing him. It was developing him. It was growing him. It was leading him towards the finished product. Joseph was in the fermentation process. Second, connect your purpose to his Holy Spirit. Connect your purpose to his Holy Spirit. So God continues to develop the gifts that he placed in Joseph. He's leading people in the prison. He's in charge of the other prisoners. He's being developed. He's growing. And one of the things that God develops while Joseph is in this prison is a gift that Joseph was given by the Holy Spirit at 17 years old. The gift of prophecy. The ability to interpret dreams and discern the future. While Joseph was in prison, he interpreted the dreams of two of his inmates who were a part of the royal court. The dreams that he interpreted came true. One of the inmates was executed, that's a bummer, and the other one was given back his position in the royal court. He probably wished he hadn't asked about that dream. But the other one got back his job. He was brought back into the world that he was in before. He had access to Pharaoh. He was given back a, an important role in Pharaoh's court and was serving there. He promised Joseph, when Joseph told him, you're going to be brought back into the favor of the Pharaoh, he said, man, I'm going to advocate for you. As soon as I get where I'm going, I'm getting you out of jail, man. Don't you worry. I got your back, bro. But accidentally, he forgot. He, he forgot about my guy, Joey. Left him down there in jail until two years later. We're 13 years into this story now. Because it doesn't always happen fast. And it doesn't always happen on the timeline you want it to. Two years later, he's been in prison. Leading prisoners with minimal sunlight for two years. Two years later, Joseph's called out of prison to interpret a dream for the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is having a horrible dream over and over and over again. He doesn't know what it means. He's asking all his wizards to try and interpret it. The, the, the guys from the prince of Egypt are there trying to interpret it. He's trying to figure out what this dream means. He says, if anybody would just help me understand this dream, I'll give them rewards. And all of a sudden, the baker remembers, oh my goodness gracious, Joseph. The jail guy, the dream guy, he told me my dream and it came true. And he tells Pharaoh that. Pharaoh brings Joseph up out of prison. And Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh and he does it very well. He knows exactly what it's about. The dream's about seven years of famine that this country is about to experience. And the regions around it. And Pharaoh is really impressed by Joseph. Joseph not only told him what the dream meant, but, but, but he told him what he needed to do next. Joseph had been managing people's affairs, 
and had been managing products and all these things for 13 years. He knew how to manage property. He knew how to manage goods. He knew how to prepare for this coming famine. And he knew how to listen to the Lord. He knew how to lean on the Holy Spirit. He knew how to listen when God gave him instruction. And so Joseph discovered his purpose. And it was this combination of natural gifts and spiritual gifts, his natural gift for leadership, the things that he developed and learned in all this time serving underneath others, all this time managing the affairs of others had prepared him so that when he came before Pharaoh, he put together what he had learned, how he had grown, how he had developed the natural gifts God gave him alongside the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, those things combined, and he impressed the Pharaoh. Look at Pharaoh's response in Genesis 41, verse 37. This proposal, the, the plan that Joseph gave him, pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And all of a sudden, Joseph went from farmer to slave to prisoner to second in command over the entire country of Egypt. Joseph reached his potential. He found the fulfillment of the dreams that God placed in his heart. Here's what I want us to learn from this part of the story. Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this man? And one in whom is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the yeast in your fermentation. It's the ingredient necessary for you to reach the potential of your purpose. You cannot become who you were meant to be without the Holy Spirit of God. The life-changing power of the Holy Spirit is the only ingredient that will ever complete you, finish you, make you the person that you always wanted to be, dreamed you could be, imagined you could be, the version of yourself that is satisfied and fulfilled and blessed and who is being used by God on a daily basis in a way that completes you can only happen through the power, the transforming, incredible, amazing, resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Your purpose involves the Holy Spirit of God because your purpose isn't about you. So many of us waste our lives trying to find purpose, and we never find it because we're looking at something that's about me. It needs to be, obviously it's about me, it's my life. It's got to be about me. The meaning of life has to be about me. It's not. And the Holy Spirit is, a big, is the most important ingredient in your purpose because your purpose is for the glory of God. And in order to discover it, you need the vision given to you by His Spirit. The most important ingredient in fermentation is yeast. Without it, the beer would never become beer. It would never reach its potential. It would never be anything other than ingredients placed together. 
Your purpose was placed inside of you by the creator of the universe, the God of creation. You cannot reach fullness in that purpose without him. Changes you from the inside out. Joseph had all this experience and he had character to back him up. And that was important and that impressed Pharaoh. But the thing that Pharaoh spoke of first, the thing that stuck out to him the most, wasn't Joseph's managerial ability. It was the spirit of God inside of him. The final piece to reaching your potential is your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in here today, and if you're being honest, you're not really sure where you land with Jesus. That's okay. This is a place for you. We designed this place for you so that you could come and experience what it is like to know God, so that you could find freedom amongst the people of God who care about you, who love you, who want to see you break the chains you came into this space with. This is a space for you to discover your purpose, because I believe you have one, and I believe that it involves the Spirit of God, because He's the one who made you, and He made you to glorify Him and serve others. This is a space for you. But if you're in here and you're not sure where you are with Jesus today, you're here, which tells me you're curious. So I want to tell you that you were created by the very same God that created the heavens and the seas and the mountains and every animal, everything on this earth. And out of all creation, you're his favorite thing. He placed amazing potential in your life. No matter who you are, it doesn't matter what kind of past you have, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday, it doesn't matter what you're planning to do tomorrow. You, exactly as you are right now, he loves you the most. And he has potential for you, dreams for you, a purpose in mind. Your purpose has not been taken from you. You have not been disqualified from it. It has not been removed from your life. There is not a single thing you are capable of doing that would take away the purpose and the dreams that God has for you. They're yours, given to you by the creator of the universe. He's going to use you to do wonderful and amazing things. But with him, only with his spirit inside of you, can you reach the fullness of the potential he made with you. Because he made the potential. It only makes sense that the creator of your potential would be a part of your potential. In the New Testament, a passage in Ephesians says, Now to him who is able... To do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That means he's going to do bigger things than even you could dream up. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory. When his power is at work within us, we can do immeasurably more in our lives. But it's according to his power and for his glory. We're all born with different gifts. Some of us can sing or play guitar. Some of us are athletic not me. Some can act well, speak well, can create art. Some are gifted leaders, and some of us are very gifted followers. We've all got natural gifts. And when you enter a relationship with Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. And your natural gifts are complemented by spiritual gifts. They complement one another. They go together. And your potential is realized when your natural gifts meet your spiritual gifts, and they are developed Together, that is your purpose. And when it happens, it glorifies God. And you will know your reason for existence. Apart from God, there is no satisfaction. 
you will always fall just shy of your potential. If your accomplishments only serve to glorify you, they will always be missing something. It would not have been enough for Joseph to rule Egypt apart from God. He could have been made the Pharaoh himself, and it wouldn't have been enough without the Spirit of God. And I have proof. Even outside of Christianity, we get this idea that money and status and position don't fulfill us. We write songs about it. Every celebrity documentary I've ever seen highlights it. I actually love watching celebrity documentaries because it energizes me for the work that I do. It reminds me that no matter how high we climb in this mountain of success that the world is building, we will always want more until we discover our purpose through the Spirit of God. Go watch the the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. Man, I love Tay-Tay. Her music is the soundtrack of my life. But in her Netflix documentary, you can hear her talk about how lonely she is. And how meaningless all the fame and fortune has felt to her. If you watch a 30 for for 30 featuring Tom Brady after his third Super Bowl win, he says there's got to be more to life than this. I'll bet four Super Bowls later he's feeling the same thing. Watch Zac Efron in the documentary show Down to Earth. He says the more famous he got, the emptier he felt. I could go on and on and on and on and on. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by the richest, most famous king alive. And he gets to the end of his life and he says over and over and over the refrain throughout every chapter of this book, everything is meaningless. Getting all the things that you want in this life, the job, the financial status, the house, the wife, the husband, the kids, all of it is never going to satisfy you without a relationship with Jesus. In him and him alone is the key to our satisfaction. And his spirit is the most important ingredient to our fermentation. You were created by God for a purpose. And since he created you, when you are glorifying him the way he created you too, you'll find ultimate satisfaction and joy. Because that's what he created you for. That's your purpose. So here's the key in this season. Pursue closeness with God. Number three, pursue closeness with God. There's a lot you can do to get to your potential, and we've talked about it in this series over and over and over again. Do those things. Do the work. Do the work. Learn. Grow. Become a better person. Become a better leader. Go to counseling. Go get to better education. Do the work, but pursue closeness with God most of all. Spend time in his word. Get to know him. Learn more about him by reading the words about him. It's a great story. Never let studying his word stop for you. I'm a pastor by trade, so I read the Bible for a living. But right now I'm reading through it for the 13th time. I've studied the same gospel passages over and 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 over again. I get up and preach. This year, 42 Sundays, I have to study the Bible. But it's never enough for me. It feels fresh every single time I look at it. Every single read-through of the Bible is a new adventure. I'm finding things out about God that surprise me, that amaze me, 
that make me feel so whole and satisfied just to know it. I'm learning new promises that he laid on my life all these, all these years later. I'm learning more about his character and his nature every morning when I open his words. The more that I read it, the more I thirst for it. The hungrier I get for it, the more I need it to get through my day. It'll never be enough for me. My prayer is that it would also never be enough for you. Meditate on the words of God. Stew in it. Journal about it. Write it down. I wish, I mean, I'll show you all my journals one day. They are illegible. The worst handwriting you've ever seen and the words that I write down make no sense. They make sense when I'm doing it and then I'll go back. You know, some, like my wife, her journal entries are beautiful and she'll go back and reread them from three years and be like, be like, oh yes, God is blessing this moment. Like I go back and read a journal entry from three years ago and it'll be like, tacos aren't the answer. And I'll be like, what? The heck did I write? No scripture reverend. I've just got no idea. I'm like, what in the devil is this? But it helps me remember what I've read for that day. It helps me retain it. It gives my busy hands something to do. I journal all the time. Journal, study his word. Psalm 1-2 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or set foot on the path of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. I believe that the place where you will feel and experience and connect to the Holy Spirit the most is in prayer. Prayer is conversation with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is inside of you when you follow Jesus. And it gives you power. And it gives you giftings. And it gives you access to the throne room of God. Did you know that in the old days, and in Joseph's, actually after Joseph's time, many years later, they built a temple. And this temple had different, different places within it. And there was a space in the middle of the temple, in the heart of it, where the presence of God rested. It would rest right on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the presence of God dwelt, the physical, actual presence of God. But people like you and me, we could never get there. We could kind of come outside of it, be a couple walls away and feel blessed by it. And it was all, people would travel from miles and miles away to come just be in the outer courts just to get close to the presence of God and worship Him and experience Him and pray to Him when they were in proximity to Him. It was such a blessing just to get, they would get, sacrifice their jobs at time in their year. They would do so much just to get near this temple and the presence of God. You and I, have been given an unprecedented gift. See, when Jesus gave himself up on the cross, the moment that he died, it says that this six-foot-thick curtain, which I've spent a lot of time trying to imagine what that even feels like or looks like, was torn in half from top to bottom. And the Spirit of God left the temple. And on the day of Pentecost, it entered into the followers of Jesus. It's inside me. That same spirit that people would travel for hundreds of miles just to get near, I can feel it flowing through my body. I get to come before him in prayer anytime I want and sit in the presence of the living God. Pray. Spend time in prayer. Commune with his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Be near to him 
as often as you can. Speak to him. Listen for him. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Pray. Spend time with other followers of Jesus, talking about Jesus, talking about life, challenging each other. Summer life groups are in full swing, but most of our life groups, you can jump in anytime. Get in one right now. Get in there this week. Get around people who follow Jesus. Be around them. Let the spirit of them, the spirit that lives in them, commune with the spirit that lives in you. It will bring you closer to God. Uh, talk about life. Talk about the, the way you're growing. Challenge one another. Develop one another. In Acts chapter 2, 42, after the day of Pentecost, it says the believers shared everything and had everything in common, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. The power of community is amazing. Lean into it. Learn to worship in the still moments of your life. Worship with music and meditation. Lift up words that honor and glorify God. Just get close to Him. If you want to reach the potential you were made with, if you want to, to get to the space in life you always imagined you can be, I'm telling you, it's not a hill of success that you climb. It's not about getting the next promotion or, or growing your net worth. It's not about getting the influence or building your following. It's not about all the things this world has made it about. All the things that you've been told since you were a child would make you happy will only make you feel emptier. They won't work without the presence of God in your life. So pursue closeness with Him and you will find parts of your potential you didn't even know were there. You will discover a purpose for yourself that is immeasurably more than all you've ever even asked or imagined. You don't even know to ask for it. Because it's so good, you couldn't even imagine it for yourself. Pursue closeness with God. Pursue Him. Be with Him. Be in His presence. Be near Him. Learn about Him. Study Him. Worship Him. Speak to Him. And you will walk into the greatest satisfaction you've ever felt in your entire life. If you're in here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus... What are you waiting for? Your entire life is ahead of you. You can start today. He is pleased with you. I love that Mikey talked last week about the moment that Jesus is baptized and he came up and God says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And the Bible tells us in many different places from that point on that we've been adopted into sonship. We are considered the sons and daughters of God. So his pleasure isn't just on Jesus, it's on you as well this morning. He, he's proud of you already. You don't have to earn his love, he's given it to you already. You don't have to, to earn his forgiveness. He died on a cross thousands of years ago and already forgave you for all of your sin. And nothing's too big to all the not me's in the room. Yeah, but probably not. No, 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 no. Nothing you've ever done is unforgivable. Nothing you've ever done is unforgivable. So you can be forgiven and enter into relationship with him today and feel his spirit fill you right now in this room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to do that, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. 
fill me. I'm ready to give my life to you. All that I am from this day forward, I am yours. Send your spirit to flood me right now. Cover me in your presence. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.